This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And in our reading this morning, we're also going to be taking a look at Luke 22, 24 through 30. So if you want to mark your Bible, we'll be turning there as well. So in Philippians chapter 2, let's start in verse 5, and we're going to finish in verse 11. Paul's writing, and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray before we start. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. May the Holy Spirit apply it to our hearts and also to our lives, asking this, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. So I think we all have heard this in life. It's referred to as the law of cause and effect, and simply put, every effect has a cause, and every cause has an effect. This is how God has designed the universe to function. This is also true regarding human actions, choices, and consequences. We reap what we sow. Everything we do on earth, there's going to come a point where we give an account to God for the time and the choices that we have made. The manner in which we live our lives is important to God, extremely important. If we live a lifestyle and where we are continually exalting ourselves, putting our own desires first, living pridefully me-centered, indulging ourselves in secret sins, having little to no concern for others. This is the mindset of a person who will be humbled by God. If we live a lifestyle out of humility, one that bows the knee to Christ in all things, puts God first, this is the mindset of somebody who will be exalted by the Lord. Very simple concept. We have two choices in life. One is to build our own kingdom in the here and now, to be self-centered, to use others, to pretend that you care, but inwardly you're selfish. Nobody just lives an openly prideful lifestyle. Human nature naturally doesn't like to see that, so we disguise these intentions. We disguise these intentions with good intentions, but on the inside we're actually manipulating and using others to our own benefit for our own pleasure. We can build our kingdom here on earth if we want to, or we can live for Christ's kingdom by humbling ourselves so that in the end the Lord exalts us. So every choice we make has an effect. If we choose to exalt ourselves, we will be humbled by Christ. For a believer, what does that mean? We're going to fall under his discipline. He will knock that pride out of us. But if we choose to humble ourselves daily, 
This is the person the Lord is going to exalt when we are in his presence. So cause and effect, our thoughts, our choices, our actions. We reap what we sow. The same is true about Jesus this morning. We've been spending a lot of time in Philippians. We took a look in uh, verses 5 through 8. Jesus coming down from heaven, taking on a human nature, humbly taking on the form of a slave to the point of open shame and death. Now we're going to see in verses 9 through 11, God exalting Jesus, the exaltation of Christ. Verse 9 starts out like this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Notice that first word in verse 9, therefore. There's a transition from verses 5 through 8, now going into verses 9 through 11. Paul's saying, therefore, describing the final result of what Jesus has did on earth, the exaltation of Jesus by God. Two contrasts govern this transition. That word, therefore, there's two contrasts here. Jesus humbly came to earth as a man. Jesus now is being exalted into heaven as a man. Jesus came to earth as a slave, the lowest ranking position on the face of the earth. Now Jesus is being exalted into heaven as Lord. So the idea not that God exalted Christ to a higher rank is what's really being held here. The contrast is between the lowest point of the earthly role as a slave ending in a shameful criminal death to the highest heavenly honor possible. So what Paul is focusing on here with Christ is the status of Christ. His highest honor, his highest possible place in heaven, his lordship. Paul says this, God bestowed on Christ meaning God granted this act of grace. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 1.29, where God has graciously granted faith to the believer as well. God has granted the church to believe in him. God has granted the church to also suffer for him. This is the type of grace that God has granted to Jesus for the work he has done here on earth. This is what Paul refers to now when he tells us how God bestowed upon Christ the name, the highest rank of all. It is not simply just a proper name like you and I have, the specific name Jesus. Notice here in the text it says the name. The article is here, the name. In ancient times, <clears throat> what did it mean to have this name or a name? A name means a lot more in ancient times than it does in the United States today. Pretty much what we do today is we think of creative names to name our children. They sound nice, but the meaning has lost its value. In ancient times, it wasn't so. A person's name had a lot tied to it. It was used more than just to distinguish one person from another, but it was referring to one's own inner being or their character or their nature. So it had a significant value. The name that God gives to Jesus is a position that was higher than any other position. Jesus now exercises his universal lordship. God's response to Jesus is a complete and total act of Jesus' self 
humiliation. So you see the type of character God is looking to reward. You see the type of character God is looking to exalt. We see it in Christ. We have that picture. Somebody who completely empties himself. Somebody who completely submits themselves to the will of God. Somebody who doesn't put themselves first. Somebody who comes to die in the place of other people. This, like we used the uh, example in a couple sermons prior, is the template or the prototype or the print. What character is God looking for from me? And it's to follow the example of Jesus. So when we take a look at the internet today, we take a look at social media today, what type of personalities does the world follow? The, the opposite. You don't make money in today's culture unless you make a name for yourself. You don't make money in today's culture unless there's some type of scandal, some type of something behind it that boosts you, that distinguishes you from other people. What is Jesus looking for? What is the Father looking for? The opposite of that. Nobody knows your name. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows really what you do. You're just that nice, quiet person who, who does everything the boss requires of you and is friendly towards others and goes out of the way for other people. But other than that, you're over here. If I want to get ahead, people like this, we can't see how the world just doesn't mesh. We don't mesh with the world's system in its way of thinking. Neither did Jesus. But what matters is what is God looking for from us? So the Father's act of exalting Christ is his reply to the Son's act of self-humiliation. And he's looking for the same in us. This was given to Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says this. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If you want to do good according to God, if you want the Lord to exalt you in the end, act like Christ, act. Humble yourself like Jesus humbled himself. God has exalted Christ. Everybody who humbles themselves in the way that Christ humbled himself will be exalted by the Father in eternity. It would be foolish for us as Christians, now that we know this, now that we have this insight into the Word, the insight into what God is looking for, it would be foolish for us, any of us, to be reluctant to live like this. But this doesn't come easy. Human nature does not like to humble itself. Human nature does not like to naturally submit. And nobody likes to suffer. Even as Christians, Satan will take notice of this. He knows where we're weak. He knows how hard it is to follow Christ, to deny ourselves, to get up every single day and to face this world system and to do it the way Jesus did it. It's not easy. Satan tries this with Jesus as well. Jesus could have skipped the cross. Jesus could have skipped the suffering. Jesus could have skipped the humiliation. And he still could have been exalted to rule over the nations. Not as Lord at the right hand of the Father, but under the rule and the authority of Satan. And maybe some of you are asking, what are you talking about? Remember the temptations of Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, none of us are going to be tempted exactly like this. The reason being is because you and I aren't that important. We're not Jesus. We're never going to be offered all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time, but we will be offered this all the time. We will be offered to indulge ourselves in our own little kingdoms that we try to establish here on earth. The kingdom we secretly make for ourselves. The kingdom that shows true faith on the outside, but on the inside is corrupt. Human beings like to naturally exalt themselves, to set aside Christ's kingdom and to make our own. We are tempted like this as believers in subtle ways. How? Well, just simply keep your mouth shut and you won't face backlash and persecution. You're much better off if you just simply go with the flow than try to stop and live a lifestyle contrary to everybody else around you because now you're drawing attention to yourself. Well, why is this person different? Well, it's because of the gospel. And then here we go. Well, you can just simply avoid this. Just go through the motions like everybody else and you won't have any of these problems. Keep your religion to yourself. Enjoy your secret sins. You don't have to deny yourself everything. Nobody's going to know about this stuff over here. Nobody's going to know about that stuff over there. You don't have to deny yourself completely. These temptations will come your way more than you expect. They come in the form of comfort. They come in the form of pleasure. They come in the form of delighting yourself into something you're not supposed to or simply taking shortcuts so we don't have to suffer consequences. They're substitutes for the suffering you experience when you deny yourself and take up your cross because we are hardwired to do the opposite that what Christ has shown us. We're simply selfish by nature. Jesus came to show us the exact representation of God's character in human form. To show us humility in action. To show us what would God do in any situation that I face. To live a lifestyle of self-denial. To learn obedience and to learn how to suffer. There are no shortcuts in Christ's kingdom. There are no secret sins we are to be pursuing. And there are no sinful pleasures we are to be indulging ourselves in. This is what we must imitate, exactly how Christ lived his life. How to think, how to act, how to speak, how to handle adversity, how to keep our heart pure, and how to suffer. How to be thankful and content in any situation that we find ourselves in. How to trust in the Father in all things, knowing He knows what's best for me. He is in sovereign control of my life. I hand it over to Him. To suffer and deny ourselves, all these th things done out of humility, all of these things done out of submission to the will of God. 
So it's because of Christ's death. It's because of his action. It's because of Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that all believers have been redeemed, restored, reconciled, and we have an eternal home with him. Ephesians 2, 6 says this, referring to the exaltation of Christ, he also, what, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only is Jesus exalted, but according to Paul in Ephesians 2.6, he's raised us up with him and seated us with him when we have been restored, when we have been regenerated, when we have been born again. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring you to God. For the purpose of bringing you to God. And all Jesus had to do to Satan's temptation was bow the knee. And this would never have been possible. It would have never happened. It would have been all over for us. It would have been far less painful for Jesus. Far less suffering. It wouldn't have been nearly as humiliating. It would have been a lot easier. So when the temptation of self came Christ's way to take a path of comfort, to take a path of ease, what did he do? He denied it and continued to follow in the Father's way that the Father had ordained him to go out of self-denial. The question is, is how about us? When the same temptation is offered to you to build your own life, your own little kingdom here on this world, to make it comfortable, to make it easy. Now, I'm not saying these things are sin. But what I'm saying is, is that when you're pursuing this, when your heart's ambition are these things, and you're filled and you're consumed with this, they become idols. When you're tempted with this, are you going to go back to the former ways that you used to live? Because it's easier. Because there's more pleasure in it. Because there's more comfort in it. Because I have more friends. Because I have more people to hang out with. Whatever the case may be. When you're tempted like Jesus was tempted, how are you going to respond? Are you going to take shortcuts of indulgence and hide your sin? Are you going to continue to pursue what the world has to offer? One success after the next, after the next, after the next, and that's all you're living for and that's all you're focused on. Maybe we give God a little bit of time over here, a little bit of prayer over here, a devotion here and there, but really you're zeroed in on climbing that ladder. So are you going to continue to live for yourself when Satan comes at you like this? after Jesus suffered, after Jesus died, in order to bring you into his kingdom. This is how we're going to respond to him. Look how personal our sins are. Look how close and intimate in the relationship we have with Christ our rebellion is to his. Jesus was faithful every step of the way. How about us? How much does Satan have to give or offer you in order for you to deny Christ and to side with him. How much effort does Satan have to put in to test you, just to see how really strong you are in these certain areas? How hard is it for him? It cost Christ his life. He didn't bow the knee. What is your limit? Do you have a limit? What type of sin would cause you to fall? If a certain opportunity came your way, would you pursue it? How easy would it be for you to compromise here? So because Christ was faithful to the point of death, 
God exalted him. The result of it was this. Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the cause and effect relationship here? So the name Lord here is the personal name for God in the Old Testament. We hear the word Yahweh in Greek. It's kurios. It's the equivalent. This is the name Jesus has. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's interesting when you read Isaiah 42 verse 8. God says, I am the Lord. Or God saying, I am Yahweh. This is my name. My glory I give to no other. But the glory that Jesus has is the same glory that the Father has in the sense that they're both Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? Since this is the case, how could Jesus be referred to Yahweh? Well, it's because he's always been Yahweh, the second person. God the Son. The Father Yahweh. The Son Yahweh. The Spirit's Yahweh. So Jesus is the name given to the God-man. When Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on a human nature came to earth in the incarnation. His name is Jesus, the Son of God in human form. Now Jesus has been exalted by the Father himself. And the result, the cause, the effect, the result of Christ's finished work is every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess to him that Jesus is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting here. The bending of the knee represents ultimate reverence and submission. This type of adoration belongs to God alone. Those taking the knee refer to both believers and unbelievers. Those who openly and publicly confess Christ and those who openly and willfully reject Christ. Everybody we as believers, we worship him already. We're going to do it in the end as well. Fine, because we're going to be doing it for all eternity. That's what we want to do. The Lord has put that in our hearts. We look forward to that. But the unbeliever, it's not the same. The unbeliever refuses to do it now. But will confess and bow the knee in the end. See, they have no choice here. They're being forced to submit against a will and to a power that they cannot resist. Right now, the Lord is allowing the unbeliever to mock him, to ridicule him, to say that God doesn't exist, to mock anybody who thinks, to persecute the Christian. Okay, right now, the Lord is bringing that about, but there's going to come a time where that's over for the unbeliever. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to acknowledge God for who he is. And they're going to be forced to do it. Because they can't resist the power. God's going to be, his power is going to be on full display over that unbeliever, over that rebellious heart, that heart of pride. And that person is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. The Lord allows the unbeliever not to submit to him here, but this is not always going to be the case. But in the end, God is glorified in two ways. He's glorified in the praise of his people. And God is also glorified in the judgment of those who reject him.
Either way, all humanity, and I also believe here the angelic realm as well is being referred to here, will pay homage to the Son, to the glory of God the Father. So the path that Jesus walked is the exact path he calls us into. Exaltation through humility. Heavenly glory through self-denial. Fulfilling God's will in our life through obedience and through suffering. That's the path Jesus took. That's the same path he's called us into. Now, we would all be wise to heed the warning that Jesus gives us in Matthew 23, 12, when he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He tells us this because this is our natural way of living. And he's warning the believer of this as well. In Luke 22, it's the place, if you had it marked in your Bible this morning, we have a great picture of this, of how pride and selfishness can exist within our hearts so easily that sometimes we don't even notice it's there. Now in Luke 22, in verses 7 through 13, Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal. In verses 14 through 23, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Jesus reclined at the table with the apostles. He's telling them about the suffering that must come to pass. They partake in the supper together. The bread which represents the body, the wine which represents the blood. Then he says this. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined. So his final destination lies just ahead. This is a very close, personal time with his disciples. What a moment we have here. What a time of close fellowship and heartache. We're never going to truly understand what Jesus was going through at this time, what had to be going through his mind and what he knew was coming that next day. If ever the disciples were aware of the significance of this moment, right? It was the very moment in history. It's about to happen. The disciples are right there. They just had the Lord's Supper together. So what do the disciples talk about next? Are they talking about how to humble themselves like Christ? How to give themselves completely over like Jesus is just giving them the example of how pain and suffering is the way to enter into the kingdom. Is that what they do? Verse 24 says this, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. So Jesus is talking about the death he's going to be facing the very next day. What is on the tip of the disciples' lips? the tip of their tongue, who's going to be the greatest? Full of self, full of, full of pride, full of me, we just don't get it. And don't think it's just the disciples and that that wouldn't be you or me. What this is showing us is the severe limitations of the human heart, of how we can be full, so full of our own possession, our own pride, our own value, we could be so full of ourselves that Jesus is about to go to the cross and all we can sit and argue about is who's the greatest among us. The vulnerability of every Christian's heart 
The disciples being in the very presence of Christ, just before the crucifixion, just taking the Lord's Supper, and we see the heart of the disciples. But this is what's interesting, because when you come through and you read this and you see how shocking this is, and you see how wicked our human hearts can be, notice the patience and the compassion of Jesus at this time. Think about he's what he's going to face. When we have so much on our minds, we become easily frustrated. We become irritable. How sensitive we become, how hurtful it is when we have so much on the line and our own personal friends are off wondering about something else when we're about to face something hard and difficult like Jesus is. The only reason they will be in God's kingdom is because of what Jesus is about to suffer and endure and still they only care about themselves. Jesus doesn't snap back. He doesn't react. He doesn't get angry. But in verse 25 he says, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. So how does Jesus correct the disciples' mindset here at this time? I can't imagine how painful it has to be for Jesus. These are his closest friends. He's about to go to the cross, and they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. How does Jesus respond? Very gently, he corrects them. He's not like a slingshot drawn way back and just blasts them, although you can see how... That could come about, but we're dealing with Jesus here. He graciously corrects his disciples. The mindset of the disciples is the opposite of that of Christ at this time. Christians are not to act as a ruling people. We don't lord over other people. Christians are not to desire the highest titles that this world has to give. Rather what? Jesus said in verse 27, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Jesus is giving us the example of the one who serves. But our hearts want to be the benefactor. Jesus is saying, no, we are the ones who serve. The disciples being with Christ, walking with Christ, seeing his humility, seeing his character, still are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus is about to go to the cross to suffer. And they're still thinking about the kingdom, their own kingdom. The idols in their own heart. See how easy it is for us to slip, simply slide over one degree to the left or one degree to the right. And after a while, we become so off course because our heart is not perfectly in tune with the Lord, even when he's right in front of us. Pursue the lifestyle Christ is giving us as an example. Check yourself daily for this pride. Have others check it for you as well. It's okay to be great at what you do. It's okay to be the best at what you do. It's okay to work hard and strive to do the best that you can as long as your heart is not filled with yourself. To exalt yourself so you can rule or be seen higher than other people. As long as you are just as happy and content in last place as you are in first, that's how you can tell if your heart is in line with Christ. As long as you're not taking shortcuts from obedience and suffering that Christ lived on this earth, you can tell your heart is in line with Christ. As long as, no matter how important you become, 
cleaning up the mess, taking out the trash, when nobody's around, you don't even think twice of it. That's not beneath you. This is the lifestyle Christ has given us. For verse 27, he, Jesus says, For who's greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This is the mindset we are to adopt. Now Jesus warns us, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you lift yourself up in pride, God will break you down. If you break yourself down in humility, God will lift you up. Again, going back to cause and effect. The person who serves will be exalted by God. The person who loses their life for Christ's sake is the person who will find their life. And the person who dies to self is the person who's going to live an abundant lifestyle because the heart is clean, it's cleansed, it's on track with Christ. Whatever is happening on the external doesn't matter because on the inside, we are on par with Christ, we are in fellowship with Christ, we are in perfect harmony and union with Christ. And this is where the Lord wants us to be. The exaltation of Jesus was the reversal of his humiliation. He came from heaven and earth as Son of God in the bosom of the Father, face to face with God for all eternity, taking on a human nature, suffering and dying by his own creation. And because of this, God the Father now exalted the God-man to the highest ranking position possible. Jesus did this purely for the sake of his own, to the glory of God the Father. Now in his exaltation, it's interesting, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. A prophecy written a thousand years before it took place, but it's all here in Scripture. But the story just doesn't end here in Luke 22. Jesus talking to his disciples in verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus has assigned to us his kingdom. We could read this a couple more times. We can let this sink in. Again, this is good devotional material. But verse 28, you are those who stayed with me during my trials. This is what Christ is looking for from us. There's no greater, nothing greater in this world to strive for than to stand by Christ, to stand with Christ, to be faithful to Christ, and identifying ourselves with suffering and humility. Jesus did it. Are we going to walk alongside of him and in honor in him and in reverence of him and live the same lifestyle? Are we going to be the ones who stay with him during his trials? Christ had temptations. He was rejected. We have temptations. We're going to be rejected. We are to be continuing with Christ, especially when we are afflicted. We are to be identifying ourselves with Christ. We are to be embracing this identity and we are to be pursuing this identity. This is our new identity, that which Christ showed us while he was on earth. That's our identity. We are weak, like we saw with the disciples. We make mistakes. 
God knows this. The disciples are perfect examples of how weak we are. The, de- the debate began between them and who's to be the greatest before the crucifixion. Jesus didn't reprimand them. He knows our limitations. He gives us his grace. So stay the course. Stay humble. Continue in self-denial. We slip, we get off track, repent, confess, get back on track. God is gracious even in our failures, even though he was perfect in everything he did, he still gives us his grace. In verse 29 of Luke 22, Jesus says, I assign to you, notice that word, I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. The kingdom of God. Christ's kingdom. Jesus is a God who shares his kingdom. He shares his kingdom with us as the Father has exalted him. And the word assign, what does that mean? Is this, his kingdom is not to be taken by force. His kingdom is not to be taken by manipulation, by stepping over people, by becoming cutthroat, by becoming ruthless. That's not the kingdom that Jesus is giving us. The kingdom that we have from Christ, he gives it to us. He assigns it to us. It's by his grace. It's not attained by selfish ambition. We don't have the right to it anyways. But it must be given to us by God. He makes us partakers of his own glory. And it's this humiliation and it's this exaltation of Christ that makes all of this possible. It goes back again to cause and effect because Jesus is exalted. We have assurance of our faith leading to salvation. Because Jesus has been exalted, we have the hope of heaven. He is the anchor of our hope that the moment we die, we're in his presence. Because Jesus has been exalted, we have forgiveness of all of our sins. He personally intercedes for us all the time. Christ's humiliation was not enough. He also needed to be exalted. We need to be exalted as well. This is something God assigns to us. He was exalted. He was crowned king. Yahweh over all. So in closing this morning, the destiny for all humanity, we read it here. It's prophetic. Just like Psalm 110 verse 1 said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. What we read read this morning here in Ephesians 2, 9 through 11 is the same. It's going to happen. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to take place. In the end, we are all going to do this, but the question is this. Which side of this knee bowing and which side of this confession are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side that bows and confesses with joy in their hearts because you have already been regenerated, because you have already believed in Christ? So this is going to be a pure act of worship. Or are you going to be on the other side of this because you have been defeated, because you have been forced to submit, because you are doing this because God's power is over you, because you have rejected him your whole life. Now you're doing this begrudgingly and you're about to be thrown into Gehenna for all eternity. Which side is it going to be? If you reject him now, you're still going to confess him. You're still going to bow the knee. 
So why continue to fight? Why continue to go down that path when the Lord is calling you to repent? The side that is willing to lose it all in the here and now for the sake of Christ will bow in admiration to the Son. Yes, we suffer now. Yes, we enter into Christ's trials with him together. But our treasure is laid up in heaven. But then there's that other side. The side that's going to be forced to submit by a power they cannot resist. The rebellious side. The scoffer. The critic. The sarcastic atheist. One day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this statement. This is a guarantee. Let's pray. Father, for your finished, for you sending the Son for his finished work on the cross, how we are eternally in debt to you. Lord, that you have redeemed us from the darkness of this world, and yet we still have these tendencies to walk according to the ways of this world. Lord, just help us here. Thank you for saving us, but Lord, we confess we still have a ways to go. So we thank you for all that you've done for us. In your son's name, amen.